1: Hey, everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. It's been just over two months since North American sports shut down, for all intents and purposes. Since then, there's been a lot of developments with the coronavirus and treating it. From a medical perspective, things are starting to look up. The number of daily new cases is falling. CDC reported about 22,000 new cases yesterday. That's down from a peak of 43,000 in early April, so about half. National hospitalization rate is also declining. The national mortality rate is declining. And importantly, all 50 states are in the various stages of opening up. Most notably, governors of California, Texas, and Florida, the three most populous states, All said their states could host sporting events without fans as soon as early June. For Major League Baseball, that's obviously a good thing. Uh, There's an 82-game proposal out there. The union and Major League Baseball are discussing health and safety protocols. They're going to figure out the economics. There's a lot to overcome, uh, but to talk about all this, we're joined by J.J. Cooper, JJ, there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, the medical safety and health protocols and whether they're really feasible. And obviously the economic issues are substantial. I think they will figure this out. I think there's a lot of desire to get games back on the field. For me, I do expect there to be a major league season, hopefully starting sometime around July. When you look at the big picture, how likely do you think that is? 60-40 is what
0: I'd say. 60% there will be, 40% there won't. Um, and I would kind of factor a couple of things in that. One is, is that there, are, there is absolutely um, a core disagreement between the two sides right now. And it's a core disagreement that is difficult to bridge. Major League Baseball is basically saying it makes no sense for us to play games without further salary reductions from players and the players association is saying we already made a deal it would make no sense for us to tear up a deal that we have already made i don't have a great easy answer to that i don't i do think both sides and both parties have a whole lot of reasons to figure out why you know how to play especially if you try to do a big picture for a minute there's also the possibility of a, a lockout or a strike in 2022 hopefully not i think anyone who's in 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 any way likes baseball, hopes not. But the idea of not having a 2020 season, partly because of a disagreement between the owners and the players, and then the possibility of, on top of that, not having a 2022 season, or part of it, not having part of it because of that, is a very frightening uh, aspect for anyone who remembers what, you know, what it was like for baseball in the 80s and the uh, early 90s. And so I'm optimistic, but I'm also not – 100%
1: comfortable either. It is important to note that both sides do stand to lose money here. Players are taking what will amount to just under a 50% pay cut. They agreed to prorated salaries. 82 games is just over half a season. Teams stand to lose about 40% of their revenue. They get about 30% from ticket sales, another 10% from concessions, parking, other gate-related revenues. That varies from team to team, but 40% is the general amount. We have seen teams already start to do things that indicate the financial distress they're in. The Rays, Marlins, Angels, and Reds have begun furloughing employees or will begin furloughing them in most cases uh, starting in June. Potters, Mariners, Cubs, and Rangers have put in pay cuts for employees, making above a certain amount. And do, yeah. We are seeing a lot of teams taking actions that indicate the financial distress they're in and understanding they will lose money. The question I have for you is, what do you feel like is is an acceptable amount? Just because, again, everyone's going to lose money and it feels like that's the biggest debate here. The owners are saying we're going to lose, in some cases, 80%, when in reality, you know there's going to be at least 40. But I mean, what do you think is an acceptable amount from both sides to get a season going? I'm
0: sure right now, I'm not sure that, that it's a core disagreement. It's not something where the Players Association, what's the number that they'll accept, that they'll accept you know, uh, a larger cut or whatever. It's a, they say we've already agreed to a deal where we will pay, we will play on a per-game basis. That's what we'll get paid for. Take our salary, divide it by the course of the season, however many games we get that. If you pay 25%, we get paid 25% of our salary. Play 50%, pay 50 I don't think that they're – I think in the Players Association's viewpoint, changing, tearing up that agreement is kind of a, a no-go for them. Now, there are ways that you can get around that. If, if, the, if, if the owners say that they're going to lose too much money this year, I do think that there's a possibility that players would accept deferrals of salary into future years, especially with interest. You know that's something that maybe they would they would accept that's a way around it. You could also mess with the number of games and lower the number of games but the the problem you have here as far as there's not a whole lot of trust between the players and owners on either side. We know that, but on top of that, we also know there's not going to be complete financial transparency on the owner's side. like when there are numbers out there, a lot of this comes down to debt service you know you have leveraged owners who have bought clubs and have significant debt service to pay, well, if I'm the Players Association, there's a reasonable argument that can be made that debt service is not anything to do with actual operations of a baseball team, and that that is something where if you as a player, if you do not receive the benefits of when a team sells that was bought for $100 million sells for a billion, then you also should not be responsible in any way for debt service of the purchase price of a team. And so, I, again, I think that there's something, the health and safety aspects of this are significant and they're gonna be difficult to, to route around. But on top of that, there's gotta be something that shakes out of this staring, I, I get, you know, two sides staring at each other. And let's also say that we, as we record this podcast, MLB has not officially rolled out its economic proposal to the players. So as we're talking about
1: something that is speculative right now, but is yet to actually be even negotiated. Well, the AP did report that there was a video presentation made where Commissioner Manfred laid out some of the MLB's financials. The Major League Baseball Players Association has asked for further documentation to- But there hasn't been a proposal. They've They've laid out finances. They haven't said, here's what we propose. Correct. They've laid out the picture and there's now the more documents are being exchanged and eventually we do hope there will be a proposal in the near future. You mentioned something that I think is important, and you mentioned that the owners and financial transparency, it's not something that they're used to. And I do think in this situation, it's key that they are. I know we can't expect them to be because there's no history of doing that. When you take everything into account in terms of where the country is, the fact the players are already taking 50% pay cuts – I think it would be the right thing, and really in the game's best interest for the owners to be transparent with the players and say, "Look, here's where we really are. The tax they're taking right now. I think at the end of the day, it's just going to hurt the chances of baseball getting back on the field."
0: I'll I'll go. I'll take that even a different tack. Again, I think that there has to be a way to figure out ways to do this without tearing up the original March agreement. I know that there is a, a, a significant disagreement about that agreement, whether it would be renegotiated if there was fanless games. And the players say one thing, the owners say another. And absolutely, when you do things like that, that's poor documentation at the time, absolutely. But it is something where that disagreement is not going to be resolved anytime soon. But on top of that, you can talk about financial transparency, but the reality of it is, is that if they head down that road, I don't think we're going to get a season anytime soon because those issues are so large and so complex that, you know, okay, let's say for a minute that the owner said, here's the books, which they will not do. No chance that happens, especially in the lead up to a a CBA negotiation that is on at least the middle burner. If it's not the front burner now, it's not the back burner either. It's the middle burner if you have a three burner uh, stove. But um, they're not going to do that. But even if they did, that would take weeks of back and forth of debating, see, you're included here, you know, this salary for the owner and you've included debt service and you've included this. And, you know, that's not a reasonable reimbursement rate for the our, the regional sports network that you also own. So you're saying you only make X off of this. All of those issues get very complex, and when you talk about labor negotiations, this is one of the reasons that when you have these collectively bargain negotiations that they take months and literally years is because of how complex these things are. If we're gonna have a baseball season in July get the health and safety done, but they got to figure out a way, okay, how do we route around? How do we find something again, whether it's deferred money, whether it's, we're going to change it up as far as the number of games and we're going to play expanded playoffs. What, you know, whatever they are, they're going to do. I don't think that we're, I, I am very pessimistic on the idea that the owners and players will rework an entirely new economic system for the 2020 season and get baseball back on the field in July.
1: I completely agree, and that's where it's going to be key for as these negotiations move forward to make sure people are as open and transparent as possible to make sure they can do all these things without the lack of trust getting in the way, which, as we know, is kind of the status quo between Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association right now. I do feel like you put it 60-40, and maybe this is the optimist in me, I would go 80-20. I do feel like as long as they get the health and safety protocols figured out, which again is a challenge, but they're en route to doing that, I just think that at the end of the day, everyone hopefully will have the wisdom to look around and say, this is going to do lasting damage to our game and our business if we are not able to play solely because of financial reasons. That would cause an incredible amount of bad will toward the owners, toward the players, toward all parties involved. And I think either side thinking that, oh, the owners will take the blame or the players will take the blame is fooling themselves. The entire game will suffer top to bottom. And I hope they realize that. I think there's enough smart people on both sides to realize that. And ultimately, I think they will get back on the field in some form or fashion. Let's hope. Minor league baseball is a completely different situation. And before we get into the teams, I want to talk about the players real quick. Major league baseball guaranteed $400 a week to minor league players up through May 31st, except for the ones living at team facilities and a couple of other exceptions as well. That runs out May 31st. Uh, I reached out to major league baseball, asked if they were considering any extensions for that. They said they had not made a decision at this time. That was up earlier this week. JJ, I do have to say, looking around and seeing teams, again, beginning to furlough employees, instituting pay cuts for employees, Major League Baseball and the Players Association, haggling over what's real and what's not financially. I do wonder if this $400 a week payment is going to continue. And just looking at the big picture around it, it seems like it's tough, again, with teams furloughing employees and instituting pay cuts. I can't say I feel confident necessarily that it will be continued. That's not to say it won't be. I just looking at the big picture it feels like a tough situation right now.
0: Uh, we, we just talked about the difficulty of the negotiation between MLB owners and MLB players association. The The difference here is, is that this is something where it is the minor league players who are not part of the MLB, you know, players association, part of the union are basically dependent on the decision. They don't have a, a, a uh, say they don't have an ability to negotiate it is MLB's decision to, as to what they you know what they pay or what they don't pay these players um, I, I mean I, I don't want to speculate because I'm, I'm say about you are which is is that there has been not been a decision that, that, the, that the clock is ticking I mean if, if you are a minor league player the the check is you know again the 400 a week as currently scheduled ends real soon um, you know I don't know if it'll continue or not. Uh, I I could I don't think anything you're saying is illogical. I just don't know. I, and we we don't know. I mean we're we're we we've we've tried to report on it and no one we've talked to knows. So um I I would say again if I'm reading tea leaves, the one thing I'll say with that is is that if if you're going to pay that decision will come earlier than Likely a decision that they're not going to pay them any further. Like if if there's not going to be any pay any further, we're not going to get an announcement on May 22nd, probably that says, hey, by the way, minor league players aren't receiving any more money for the rest of the year unless they play. It'll be something that we hear as the as the month ends.
1: Look, we criticize Major League Baseball when they've done things we feel are incorrect. We've criticized the Players Association. We feel they've done things that are incorrect. I'm a big believer if you're going to criticize an organization, you need to also give credit to said organization when they do something right. And I do want to give Major League Baseball here some credit. They were under no obligation to continue paying these minor leaguers $400 a week through May 31st. Now, is the right thing to do, absolutely, and they should have done it, and they did do it. I'm a big believer in giving people and organizations credit for doing the right thing. And they did the right thing through May 31st. They were under no obligation to do so. They went ahead and did it. And I do want to give them credit for doing that. Now we just need to see, you know, what happens starting June 1st, again, around the league. It's a lot of uncertainty right now, uh, and minor league players are a part of that. Uncertainty in minor league baseball extends beyond the players and is continuing to be a big issue for minor league baseball franchises. Uh, You've been on top of the negotiations between major league baseball and minor league baseball regarding potential minor league reorganization since November. And then since the coronavirus hit, everything changed. The calculation changed immeasurably. What's the latest? Uh, You have another store up on BaseballAmerica.com. short version. What's going on? Where do negotiations stand? And what does the immediate future look like?
0: Time is a, uh, is time is relative always, but time is especially relative. It seems like during uh, the coronavirus pandemic, it, it, It felt to me, if you'd asked me before I looked it up, that the last official negotiation between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball, I would have felt that that was about two weeks ago in in early May. And then I looked it up and it's like, no, 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 that was April 22nd. So as you're listening to this podcast, it's essentially been a month since MLB and MILB officially met virtually online because no one's meeting in person right now. But it's been a month and part of the problem that they, in these negotiations is is there is a bandwidth issue you know the reality of it is is that as priorities go for major league baseball understandably there's no criticism in this and i've not even heard any criticism from anyone in minor league baseball about this but getting a 2020 mlb season resolved is more important than figuring out the structure of the minors which is a very important thing itself but so we're here sitting a month and nothing of any major import has happened. Now that doesn't mean things haven't happened behind the scenes right up at baseball America. So basically MLB reached out to its 30 MLB clubs and said, let's talk each, you know, one by one, let's talk about your affiliation situation. Let's talk about where fits maybe better geographically. What do you like stadium wise? Who do you like operating with? Who you less, you know, less uh, thrilled about you, you currently operate with. And the idea is to get partnered, get these things all pieced together so that MLB can go to the minor league baseball negotiating committee next time they meet and lay out, here's our plan. That plan has 120 teams in it. Like, again, as we've reported before, if you're holding out hope that there's going to be 150 in this plan, that seems not seems almost assured that's not going to happen 120 which means low a high a double a triple a four ticket buying clubs for each major league organization yes there still would be complex level teams for in arizona and florida but those are separate there are no fans there are no ticket buying the clubs just run those so with that being the case the idea is is they'll come up this 120 they'll lay out here are the leagues here are the affiliations doesn't mean there can't be some tweaking at that point, but trust me as someone who I've tried to lay out like, okay, how does this work? How does this? And the thing that keeps happening is, so I'll hear a rumor of, oh, this AA team is going to AAA. And so you then sit down and you go, okay, so they're A. So now I've got to find another AAA pair in either the IL or the PCL because No league wants to have an uneven number of teams, obviously, for scheduling purposes. Okay, so you do that. And then you say, okay, well, by doing that, now I've messed up this league over here. And so now i got to figure out how to fix that. Okay, well, once I've done that, then that messes up this league. And you just keep, every time you move one piece on the the checkerboard, the chessboard, whatever you want to call it, it affects multiple other pieces. And so... When MLB rolls out that proposed term sheet with 120, I do view that as, as that's probably going to be pretty close to what, who the 120 haves on this are, and that's going to lay out in some ways who are the 40-ish have-nots that are going to be out there. And there's still a lot to be determined there. Do the have-nots get compensated? MLB's been adamant that they want to make sure that there is still baseball high-level, viable baseball in those cities who are losing affiliated baseball. But how is that going to be structured? How many leagues is MLB going to form? How many times or how many ways are MLB going to help get these teams, cities into leagues that already exist out there in some form or another? There's a lot of details to still be worked out. And that even into what is the structure of Major League Baseball running the minors, which is what everyone's expectation is will be part of this. That's another, that's not even a detail. That's like a core part of this. There's still a lot to be done. That said, there is a lot of pressure, a lot of imp- impetus to get this done. Every every minor league team who's struggling wants a 2021
1: schedule. And until this is settled, there are no 2021 schedules. You mentioned that term sheet should be coming hopefully sooner rather than later. One of the interesting things to me that you raised in your article was that minor league teams who perceive themselves to be on the bubble are trying to find essentially a benefactor in a major league baseball team a team that they can kind of seek protection from and in some case potentially offer ownership stakes in at below market value to essentially ensure their safety and survival as an affiliated minor league team. You mentioned that there could be some legal questions there, but it's very very difficult to determine what market value actually is right now just because so many teams are facing rather large financial losses due to the coronavirus. Take us through that process in terms of, you know, how many teams are doing this looking at their situation saying you know what we need to go find a major league team to essentially be our protector i don't have an exact number i have that i i have talked
0: to a a significant number of milb officials owners and all who have who basically tell me that they know it's happening then when i say who and they say well i, I you know either they're not willing to say or they don't know who I've you know Again, and I'm not going to report rumors until I actually get it from someone that this is what happened. But there is a logic to it. I mean, this is a, a very difficult situation right now. So I, legally, well, legally, the rules of minor league baseball and major league baseball that govern their relationship, the professional baseball agreement, says you cannot do this. If you are – okay, let me make clear what you can't do. If I'm a club and I have an affiliate – I can't talk to any other major league team about the possibility of partnering or about the possibility of buying into my team or any of those aspects. I am not supposed to be able to do that. The only window I have is September, is basically September of this year. There will be a window where teams can negotiate with new affiliations. That said, every incentive in the world right now for minor league teams and major league teams is to be having those conversations right now because a by September this is all going to be done. If you wait till then, you're it's too late. B that's the professional baseball agreement and how PDCs are governed in it player development contracts. No one expects that that will still be the system going forward. So if you stick to the the official rules you run the danger of just basically sitting on the own and C there is evidence in the MLB initial plan that having an MLB team as your benefactor, as a part owner, is very beneficial. Because if you look at their original plan, if you look at the 120 teams that were safe, there were teams on there that draw nobody. There are teams on there in old facilities. But would you say, well, what, what's, the, what's the through point here of these teams? They're owned by major league clubs. Uh, Frederick was uh, as on you know, was on initial lists, a high A club, which is not owned by an MLB team. Frederick, uh, announced attendance is, is not the most uh, ironclad number that you'll ever see, but Frederick led high A in announced attendance last year. A team that led a high A in announced attendance was on the list, and teams that drew less than a 1, 1,000, 1,500 fans per game in high A we're not on the list. So I, I get un, I understand and there are possibilities of ramifications for teams trying to do this, but right now no one knows what those ramifications necessarily would be. Would they potentially lose compensation, you know, in a, uh, you know, that if they're being compensated for losing their team, things like that, there are possibilities, but everyone kind of looks at it right now and says, I, I got to find the best landing spot I can. And Right now, that may mean that I need to bend the rules.
1: I think the most prominent example of that, the one that just kind of blew my mind a little bit, was the Florida State League is far and away uh, the worst league in terms of drawing attendance and just having a, a fan base. I mean, the attendance numbers throughout the entire league are pretty abysmal, but the majority of those clubs are owned by major league teams. The teams that were not owned by major league clubs are some of the highest drawing teams in the league. And they were the ones on the chopping block. So basically, the teams that actually drew well in the league were on the chopping block. But the teams in the league who drew, I mean, we're talking numbers in the hundreds of fans per game, were not on the chopping block just because they were owned by Major League Baseball teams. It just seemed like from a a long-term fan standpoint, it made really zero sense because why are you cutting the team that draws 2,000 fans a game but keeping the team that gets 500 fans a game? And and
0: I will say, the other thing I'll say
1: about this is that
0: and this is MLB's been consistent on this. Not that attendance isn't important to MLB, but attendance is only one factor that they figure in this as well. Now, the one thing I'll say about the FSL is that the FSL has really nice facilities because they're spring training facilities. So when MLB says facilities is important, well, that's, that's, a, that's a win for the Florida State Lake. The part I'll say that everyone I talk to agrees, it's not going to happen, I don't think, but I've just asked the question to anyone I can involved in this, and I said, if you're reorganizing everything, we know the FSL is going to stick around, but why is it high A? Why isn't it low A? And the answer I've gotten is, I don't disagree with, everyone says, I don't disagree with you. It makes no sense that we have players break from spring training. We send them to Michigan or Iowa or somewhere else to play in April. And if they struggle we send them back to Florida to stay back in extended, or if they play really well, we send them back to Florida to play in high A. The more logical thing to do, also from an acclimation standpoint, is you would say the players who were in the complex last year stay there, play in Florida where it's warm in in April, especially if you're a Dominican player or somewhere, you know, other Latin American player who's never played in cold. And then if you really have done well there, the next step is you advance to high A. I say that as an aside, I don't expect that to happen in any way in this, but I've yet to hear someone who has a logical reason for why you would rather have those play. Also, by the way, you're playing in front of no fans either. If you want the the intensity to ramp up
1: as you climb the ladder, it'd be another reason to make the uh, FSL low A. It's a constantly evolving list, and I, I know we'll all be curious to see what exactly the teams are once the term sheet is put in place. JJ, final thing I want to wrap up with you here is the draft. We haven't podcasted since the draft was officially announced to be a five-round draft. A lot of people in baseball, from scouting directors to individual scouts to really almost anyone in baseball operations, was hoping for a 10-round draft that did not happen in large part because of the concerns about finances that all owners across the game have right now. Five-round draft, June 10th and 11th. What are some of the things you're expecting to see that might be abnormal compared to other years in this shortened five round draft, which again is the shortest draft in baseball history? Prior to this, every draft had been at least forty rounds. We're down to five.
0: Again, the Yankees picked one year almost as many players as we're going to see. Well, not as well. A hundred. They picked close to a hundred, and now we're going to have you know they're going to have three. They're and they're going to have three picks now. You know, they're <laughs> going to have three of one hundred and sixty. I, a lot of deals in the fifth round because the 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 gap between twenty thousand dollars and three hundred thousand dollars is so massive. I do think that in the in the first and uh, uh, the first and and second round it'll be semi-normal. Um, I don't. I think it's going to be very college-heavy class. I think that was going to be true because of coronavirus anyway. But I do think in the first round, if you like a college guy in the first, I mean a high school guy in the first round, I don't think you're going to shy away from it. I do think certainty of signing is also going to be important though. Like you're not going to, that's another reason high school guys aren't going to get drafted, especially after the second round is you're not going to want to take a guy who you may not sign. I'll, again, I'll give the example if you're the Yankees or you're the Red Sox, or you're the Astros. If you have a three or four player draft and you fail to sign one of them, that's gutting to your draft because again, you don't get that money. You know, you get, you may get a pick next year, but that's a very, very, very small draft at that point. So, you know, it, it affects in, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a variety of ways that way. But I do think at the top, I think it's also gonna be very college heavy because it's a great college class this year.
1: Certainly gonna be an interesting draft unlike anything we've seen before and uh, we'll all be keeping an eye on it. Make sure and stick around and then see all the latest draft coverage. Carlos Calazzo up at BA is doing a great job and we'll obviously keep you apprised of everything happening in major and minor league baseball as well. This has been another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitch, or whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. JJ, thank you again so much for joining us. Any final thoughts? I, again, I do hope
0: we have baseball this year. I, uh, you know, I, I want to, cons- I, I want to stay optimistic. I, I don't want we've got enough pessimism. I want to stay optimistic, but it, I would say hopeful, but
1: cautiously hopeful at this point. I'm in the same place. Well, uh, once again, JJ, thank you for joining us. For JJ, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay safe.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Filet-O-Fish Sandwich all day.